Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It's a crossover Thursday on today's Locked on Giants podcast. Gino Camilleri, co-host of Locked on Eagles, joins me. Plus, we're going to answer some of your questions submitted for the mailbag as a special bonus that's coming up next on today's Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trena, and today's episode is brought to you in part by Stat Hero. Stat Hero is the first of its kind daily fantasy sports platform where it's you versus the house and head to head fantasy matchups. Winner take all. Sign up today, free right now at stathero.com slash locked on, and you will get a 100% deposit match terms and conditions apply again that's stathero.com slash locked on and let me wish you all a very very happy thanksgiving if you're tuning in today on thanksgiving really appreciate you making us your first listen or your first read of the day and i hope that today is of course a wonderful one for you your family your friends however you're choosing to spend it whether you're watching football whether you're just kicking back and relaxing Enjoy it. You deserve it, especially after the season the Giants have given us, right? But anyway, on today's show, we are going to answer some of your questions. Now, I know I said I would do a Twitter Tuesday next week. I'm still planning to do that, but I wanted to get some of these questions in because there's no show tomorrow on Friday. I am taking off. I'm not taping on Thursday, Thanksgiving. And then in sections two and three, Gino Camilleri, who is co-host of the Locked on Eagles podcast, joins me for the crossover show. And of course, you can check out the Locked on Eagles podcast if you want. I am on Gino's show there and I'm talking Giants. He's talking Eagles. So this way you get everything you need to know about this weekend's Giants-Eagles game. All right, let's get to it. We're taking your questions. So let's uh, go through them. We have just a few and uh, we're going to answer them all in this first segment. And let's kick it off with one from... Nicholas G, who asks, remind me why the Giants don't wear those uniforms they wore on Monday night anymore. When will Giants be brought back on the helmets, et cetera, et cetera? Okay. Can, and can Joe Judge fire the team designer while he is at it? You know what, Nicholas? I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I kind of like the helmets with the word Giants on it. And if I remember correctly, I think one of the reasons why they went to that was because the Giants, even though they're called the New York Football Giants, that is their legal business name, they play in New Jersey and they represent the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, and parts of Connecticut. So the idea, I think, way back in the day was get rid of the NY and just put Giants and not, you know, assign it to a state. And somewhere along the line, I don't know who it was, I don't remember the story, but they brought back the NY and... I, I don't know why. I mean, I don't hate the helmets with the NM with the NY on him, but I like the ones with the Giants on the side because that's what I grew up appreciating as a kid in the 80s and um, late, actually the late 70s and the 80s and the early part of the 90s before they made the switch. So I don't know the answer, but uh, I'm with you. I want to see 
more of those helmets. And um, hey, look, after the last decade or so of lousy football, maybe it's time for a change. I mean, I know I would embrace it with the Giants. Who knows? So thank you for that question. All right. Our next question comes from Jeff C., who wants to know, uh, let's see, I'm still dismayed by the picking up of the flag on the pass interference call from Tony to Slayton. Besides the hand checking on the entire field, how is running over the receiver and tripping him up with legs instead of arms, not a penalty? Jeff, the best answer I can give you is that it was incidental contact. That's what was ruled, as I understand it. Um, If you purposely trip someone, yes, that is a penalty. If you purposely grab someone and throw them to the ground, yes, that is a penalty. But on the replay, I think what it showed, if I remember correctly, was they made incidental contact. So because both were looking back for the ball, that's why the flag was picked up. So I don't make the rules, but that's, that's the explanation that I was given. So, all right. Next question comes from Adrian wants to know why aren't the Giants known to Kadarius Tony and Kenny, Kenny Galladay more often. And is it because Daniel Jones is simply choosing not to throw to them or was it the game plan formerly run by offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, who of course is no longer there, uh, not highlighting their talents. Adrian, I think it might be a combination of the two, to be honest with you, but you know, with Daniel Jones, remember he's kind of always been a one read quarterback. Uh, very seldom goes to his second or third read, just the type of system he's in. And um, I think that's pretty much what was going on there. Now, for what it's worth, Kadarius Tony did get 12 targets against the Bucks. I think he caught seven balls off the top of my head. I think it was, but none of them went for more than, I think, eight yards. I think eight yards was his longest pass uh, pattern. And that was because um, he f- came back for the ball for one of the balls. But I think a better question is, is why aren't they going deep more often? Now, will that change with the new play caller, who I think will be Freddie Kitchens, by the way? We will see. I hope so, because the deep ball is Daniel Jones's strength. And these short passes under underneath, defenses are going to key in and they're going to take them away. So start trying some of these deeper intermediate to deep balls and see what comes of it. What do you got to lose at this point? You know, you've got three wins on the season. Go for it, right? All right. Thanks for that question, Adrian. Appreciate it. All right. We got questions now coming up from Renato P, who always is kind enough to submit three questions at a time. And uh, I'm kind of answering these, and I think in reverse order, but nonetheless, let's go ahead of them with them. Uh, First question is, given the inconsistencies that Daniel Jones has shown this season, do you think it makes sense that he restarts his career elsewhere? No, 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 no. Fix the offensive line. It's that simple. Fix the offensive line. Reconfigure the offensive scheme to play more into Daniel Jones's strength and the the, uh, skill maker's strength. All right. A, A tight end like Evan Ingram, Stop having him come back for balls. That's not his strength. Stop asking him to do inline blocking against the defensive end. That's not his strength. Daniel Jones, I think, can be a good quarterback. But you've got to fix what's around him. And, you know, look, Jason Garrett, I don't want to put all the blame on him. But I think the scheme he ran 
would have been a perfect fit for Dallas where they had a better offensive line. All right. Not here. The line's a mess. So fix that and see what happens. And I think the Giants will pick up Daniel Jones's um, option here by next May, which is a deadline. Um, and just see if they can fix this offensive line. I think at the end of this year, uh, Dave Gettleman and the Giants will part ways. Let's see what happens. All right. Uh, before we give up on Daniel Jones. All right. Next question. Also from Renato P. What do we expect from Freddie Kitchens as the offensive coordinator? And do you expect him to stay with the role or will the Giants seek a different profile of OC? All right. Uh, Renato Joe Judge has not officially named Freddie Kitchens as the offensive coordinator. So let's get that squared away first. Secondly, just reading between the lines, this is just my gut feeling. But for the rest of the season, I don't think there's going to be an offensive coordinator per se. And by that, what I mean is, I think what you are probably going to see happen, and the Giants probably won't admit to it, but this is just my guess, reading between the lines and kind of, you know, and listening to Joe Judge speak on Wednesday to some questions I posed to him. It's going to be a collaborative effort. And I would imagine that you're going to have Jerry Shaplinski, the quarterback's coach, who knows Daniel as well as anybody uh, in the year of uh, kitchens who I think will get the headset and who will technically radio in the calls to Daniel Jones. But is it going to be a case where like with Jason Garrett, you know, he took all the ideas and then he funneled in what he wanted and what he didn't. I don't think that's going to be the setup the rest of the year. Now, will that change next year? I think it all depends on how this year goes. Um, you know, it, it's almost kind of like when Pat Shermer was here and, and uh, Mike Shula was the offensive coordinator, but he didn't call the plays. Shula had a heavy say in, you know, how the game plan was designed. And Shermer, of course, called the plays into the quarterback. So it's kind of like that, except you're going to have more people. You're going to have Shuplinski. Um, I would imagine uh, one of the offensive line coaches is going to be involved with the run game coordination so you're going to have probably a mixture. That's what I came away with listening to head coach Joe Judge. So um, hope that answers your question. And also we went back or I went back and I looked up what the Giants did with Freddie Kitchens calling in the plays to Daniel Jones. I'm trying to find some additional information and I will be putting up an article on Giants country about that which um, should drop, I believe, on Friday, if you want to check that out. So thanks for that question. And let's go to your final question, Renato. Uh, were you surprised that Jason Garrett was so quickly fired? I was expecting this to be done on Black Monday, not Tuesday. No, I'm not surprised. I think it was trending that way all along. And look, after that debacle on Monday night, and if you go back to last week, this isn't really talked about, but I'm going to mention it for what it's worth. Jason Garrett kind of made some excuses, I think, for the uh, for the play of the offense. Go back and look at the transcript from his th- his last press conference, and when he was talking about the offensive line and how he basically, without throwing them under the bus, he kind of threw them under the bus. Now, I don't know if that was the tipping point 
Joe Judge, in his media conference on Wednesday of this week, went out of his way to praise the offensive line, to praise the coaching, and just really pump them up. So I'm not saying that's what triggered Garrett being uh, dismissed of his duties or relieved of his duties, but I think that and the debacle that we saw on Monday night, Judge finally had enough. Because, look, they spent a lot of money on playmakers. And to not get these guys involved is just, I mean, what, what what's going on there? I have no explanation for it. So that's what I think was um, why they made the move now. Thank you for your questions, uh, Renato. And I'm sure we'll touch base with you again next week. All right. There's one more question coming in which um, I believe is a Twitter question. Let me just pull it up real quick. All right. And this question comes from, I believe it's Mark. Here it is. I just need to pull it up here. Okay. It comes from Mark W. Um, I believe that the Giants should not stray from an overall rebuild plan, meaning that they that they should use two high picks that they have on O line and D line, and not simply give up on the quarterback, running back, receiver, and left tackle. There is talent. Yeah, Mark. I mean, you know, I don't mean to sound flippant, but that's kind of obvious. I mean, yes, they need offensive linemen. They're going to need somebody to come in. Whether you know, and again, I, I'd be surprised if it's Dave Gettleman, but if it is Dave Gettleman offensive line has got to be a priority has to be you cannot continue like this get that line fixed once and for all defensive line I think you're you're probably talking about pass rushers absolutely you know Aziz Ojulari is going to be a good one Quincy Roche I think has the the talent to be a good one but you go back and you look at the 2017 and the 2011 and each team had three solid pass rushers that they were able to rotate in. And in some cases they had four, they don't have one solid guy right now that you can honestly say is the Batman of the group and they need that. So I absolutely agree with you. O-line pass rushers. If I were the giants, those would be my top three picks um, in the draft. Hands down, no questions asked Um, regarding giving up on the quarterback, running back receiver, They've got to get better production out of Kenny Galladay. Now, granted, they've had injuries with Galladay and with Kadarius Toney. Nobody can really do anything about injuries, but they've got to utilize those guys better when they are on the field. They're also going to have to obviously get um, tight ends because I don't know that Evan Ingram will be back next year. And I'm not so sure I would keep Kyle Rudolph around. He's been banged up. And really, you know, hasn't been, you know, the guy that I thought he would be for this offense. So I don't know if I would continue to invest in him. The running back, um, I got to see more from Saquon Barkley. I'm sorry. Look, I know the kid is talented. I know he's had some injuries. But I, I just don't like how he doesn't finish runs. I don't like this all or nothing approach he takes. All right. Sometimes you just got to take the tough runs and take what you get instead of going for the home run. You know, there's too much dancing behind the line. Now, I'll give him some slack because he is coming back off of an ankle injury. But this has been a problem with Saquon throughout his whole career. 
that and also the pass blocking. I mean, do I need to tell you about the pass blocking attempt, if you want to call it that, on Andrew Thomas's touchdown reception? I mean, it was pathetic. It really was pathetic. So I need to see a better game overall from Saquon Barkley, because right now, I'm telling you right now, I am not resigning him to a big multi-year deal. I am not making him the highest paid running back in the league because right now I don't see it injuries. You know, you can, you can point to that, but performance right now doesn't scream, make this guy, you know, the next Barry Sanders as far as money goes. So just my two cents on it, but I don't give up on him. You know, let's see what he can do behind a better offensive line. Let's see, you know, um, what happens with the offense down the line. If, a new coordinator comes in or if they change up the system a little bit, there's a lot of uh, variables, but above all, yes, fix the offensive line and get pass rushers in here, please. All right, everybody, that wraps up the question part of the program. Stick around when we come back. Gino Camilleri of Locked On Eagles joins us for the crossover section. All right, champions, we have more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But if you're like me, you don't like to play daily fantasy sports to lose. Winning just feels so much better. But traditional fantasy sports are a long-term losing proposition because you never know what or who you're up against. Well, let me tell you about Stat Hero. Stat Hero is the first of its kind daily fantasy sports platform where it's you versus the house in head-to-head fantasy matchups. Winner takes all. And here's the crazy part. Stat Hero shows you their lineups before you play. So you handpick the team you want to beat the house one-on-one. This never-before-seen innovation of fantasy sports and sports betting hybrid has Stat Hero players clocking odds that are over four times better. Why? Because you don't have to compete against thousands of experts or unknowns. Stat Hero puts you in control of your fate. With Stat Hero, you are in control of the stakes. You decide how much you're going to play for. And Stat Hero has no choice but to take it because they're daring you to beat them. Stat Hero head-to-head is what daily fantasy should be, one-on-one. And now you can sign up for free at stathero.com. Use our special promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com with the promo code locked on, or you can go to the URL stathero.com slash locked on. Terms and conditions apply. Sign up today and start beating the house and winning your fantasy sports. And welcome back, Giant fans, to the crossover section of the Locked on Giants podcast. I am Patricia Trena, and joining me on this segment is Gino Camilleri. He is one of the co-hosts of the Locked on Eagles podcast, a friendly face, folks. So don't don't fret. Gino is good people here. He and Louie, who uh, host the Locked on Eagles podcast, good people. And Gino, welcome to the Locked on Giants podcast. I know it's been a while, Patricia. We haven't talked since I think our NFC massive crossover that we did with the other hosts as well. And they stacked up these division games for the Eagles here in the back half. We have the Giants, then a game against the Jets, then a bye week. 
and then four more division games. So the NFC East is not going to let up for the Eagles. And especially now sitting at five and six, these games are going to matter a lot more with that seventh wildcard seed for this team. Indeed. And the Eagles right now, red hot. I believe they won two games in a row. Mm -hmm. What has clicked for them? When you look at, I would say both sides of the football, I think offense got it done a little quicker to find their identity. And now that the defense kind of has a semblance of an identity, I'd say 85 to 90% of the way there, still working out a few kinks in that area. As you saw, if you watch the Saints game, they got back into it a little bit down the stretch. But this defense finally is creating pressure up front. The coverage on the back end is matching that pressure. They're getting turnovers that allows this offense to go and be as efficient as they have been drive in and drive out. They have one of the best red zone offenses in football during the last game. They put up a graphic said they were sixth during that game. They should be around fifth or sixth going into this week for red zone offense. They have the best rushing attack in football currently the past four weeks. They're averaging over 200 yards a game on the ground with a combination of Jordan Howard Jalen Hurts at the quarterback position. Now Miles Sanders is back, sprinkled in some Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell. They're getting it done on the ground while getting it done in the air in probably half the attempts that Jalen Hurts was tossing out there on the field from week, I'd say week one through five, he was averaging like 35 to 40 attempts. He's down to 16 to 18 attempts. But when he's throwing, he's efficient with the football. They have explosive plays both in the pass and the run game, and they're putting up 30-plus points a game. And that's exactly the recipe you need for success in the NFL because other teams are going to score 30-plus points in the NFL. You look at the Dallas Cowboys, the best team in the division right now, it's because of that offense. I know they sputtered against the Chiefs, but we still know how good they are. And you draft to beat your division. The Eagles have kind of figured it out the last couple weeks that – athleticism and speed and guys who can make men miss in the open field. That's how you win on offense. Now let's talk about Jalen hurts. Cause this is a guy who I think last time I spoke to you, which would have been back in the summer when we were talking about previewing mm-hmm. the teams, some question marks about Jalen hurts and, you know, in looking at him, I think he's the leading rusher, if I'm not mistaken, you know, the, the throwing of the ball, just morphing into a dual threat what kind of growth have you seen in him? Is he, is he just a better fit for this system or has he just kind of figured it out or what's been the difference for him? I think it's a combination of what coach Sirianni has done to change the offense after that befuddlement in Las Vegas. That was one of the worst games I've ever seen. He transformed this offense in the blink of an eye from an offense that was a pure passing attack to taking the stress off of Jalen Hurts with his arm. I think that first half of the season, they were trying to figure out the player that they had, what throws he couldn't and could make. And now they have this recipe that if he throws 16 to 20 times a game, he doesn't make as many mistakes. He's more comfortable in the pocket when he has to stay in the pocket because a lot of these runs and passes that they have are designed RPOs. So his natural progression is one look, and run. And he was doing that a lot 
very early on, but now he's sitting there. He's going through one, two, three progressions. He's letting the pocket play out in front of him. He's trusting his blockers, and it's really coming down to his refinement of the quarterback position. His footwork looks better. His decision-making looks better. He is allowing his wide receivers to make plays. He's trusting those guys to be in those spots. He's really just putting it together as a quarterback, I would say, rather than it being an athlete playing quarterback. He is now a quarterback who is very athletic. And I think you have seen that evolution. It's not linear when it comes to progression. It was up and down and then very much down in the middle of the season. And then the last three, four weeks, it's been a skyrocket elevation and Sometimes it just takes one of those moments for it to click for these guys, and and it does. And I think Jalen Hurts has been a recipient of being in tough positions early on. Now to where he's comfortable, he can really be effective inside of that offense. And, he, of course, he has good uh, skill position players around him, mm-hmm. Devonta Smith, um, Dallas Goddard. So, I mean, that, those guys are – I know you guys traded away uh, Zach Ertz and that's mm-hmm. kind of freed up a little bit. I mean, have you seen the deployment of those skill position players change any now that Jalen Hurts has kind of found a kind of his niche as far as what he should, what he does best? I, I don't necessarily think it's the deployment as much as it is getting those guys moved around in more, I would say, innovation on the offense. They're still giving Devontae Smith a majority of the snaps they're still giving Dallas Goddard all the snaps now that Zach Ertz is gone. There's not much of a semblance of anything else in the passing game outside of those two individuals. So they have to make it look like a chessboard on the pre-snap looks for those defense. And Nick Sirianni has done a much better job. And Jalen Hurts, there's a good example of it last week where he's sitting in the pocket and He's getting antsy and he's just waiting for a receiver to come open. And early on in the season, he probably would have just taken off, but he waited, waited for Devontae Smith to have his progression on a deep crossing route. He sat in there, allowed Devontae Smith to come open, and he was able to complete that pass. There's passes that he's just throwing into double coverage, or not double coverage, rather, where it's a 50-50 situation, letting his receivers make those plays. So it's getting those elite playmakers a position to make a chance on the ball. And now with the pre-snap movement that Nick Sariani has implemented, the, I would say, intelligence that Jalen has shown after the snap in those pre-snap looks and going through his progressions and trusting his playmakers, that's taken him a long way here in the past four weeks. And if you go back to early on in the season, you will see him making throws that you're like, okay, that was questionable. And today you're saying, okay, He would have made that throw probably five or six weeks ago. And then there's also throws where you're saying he wouldn't have made that throw five or six weeks ago in a very good way. There's plays where it just threw the seam and he's got to fit it through a tight window and he's able to do that. And it just the trust and getting up to speed in the NFL. It's it's not easy to go from college to the National Football League. It is a completely different level of play speed, especially at quarterback where you see a majority of these guys falter at the level of play speed, I think Jalen Hurts really is starting to come into his own, figuring it out. And all these playmakers, they're all athletes. They're all guys that are smart at and good at their position. So it just comes to fruition that they have a good offense here in the past couple of weeks with all of those playmakers playing the way they have been. All right, so where's the weak spot then on the Eagles offense? 
Ooh, that's that's a good question. I would say that everybody is doing their job right now. It's just that area between two minutes left in the second quarter and about four minutes left in the third quarter. That middle part, they haven't figured out how to get it right and keep the the foot on the pedal. If you look at the last game against the Saints, they were up big in that game at halftime, and then they come out and they're sloppy on offense. They're not doing what they were prior to halftime, and that just comes down to the getting in those situations as a head coach, getting in those situations as a quarterback, and getting enough examples of that to figure out what they have to do. I don't think anybody is playing poorly, especially the offensive line. The running backs are all doing their jobs. I would say secondary receiving outside of Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard is very questionable right now. So if you can eliminate those two, that's a big hole on that offense in terms of personnel. But when it comes down to it, if you could put points back on the board in that third quarter where the Eagles struggle, you could find yourself in games, which the Eagles have let teams stay in games in that area, which is one of those times when you have to come out quick out of the locker room, put more points on the board and be hot on defense. And they just can't seem to put it together in that area of the game. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's show, but Built Bar has a special Thanksgiving offer for you on this Black Friday weekend. It's Built Bar's goal to make it the most delicious weekend of the year for you. And they have new limited time flavors, new types of bars, and a winter wonderland of a deal. Featuring amazing new flavors such as the Built Cray Bars and their amazing puffs and ruby chocolate, which by the way, I've tried. It's really, really good. These and other Built Amazing Flavors are available right now and all throughout Black Friday weekend. You can save 20% off your order. That's on everything on BuiltBar.com. When you use our special promo code LOCKED20, all right, that's for limited time code only available during this weekend, LOCK20 for 20% off on everything Built Bar has to offer. Whether you're in it for uh, Built Bars, whether you're in it for Puffs, Cray Bars, Built Broth, Built Boosts, or Built Swag, you can get it right now for 20% off with the promo code LOCK20 at Built.com. All right, Giant fans, still more to come on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, today's Thanksgiving, and we all know what that means. Football, 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 and nothing goes better with football than turkey and betting. And Bet Online has you covered all holiday season. More props, more odds and lines than ever before. So head on over to, to their new updated desktop or mobile website at betonline.ag to sign up today. And receive your 50% welcome bonus with the promo code locked on. Bet Online has everything you need for football, pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, and your favorite Vegas casino games. So don't wait. Take advantage of all they have to offer. Visit betonline.ag and get your 50% welcome bonus with the code locked on. You're on a Locked On Giants crossover Thursday. We're talking with Gino Camilleri of the Locked On Eagles podcast, one of the co-hosts over there with Louis DiBiase. And Gino, let's talk about the Eagles defense, because as I recall, earlier in the season, some of the Eagle players on defense were kind of griping a little bit about the system that was in place. 
Now, not so much so they kind of put it together. Can you just walk us through the progression from what was going on earlier and, and what's kind of transpired to get that defense back on track? I would say it's getting on track. It's not 100% there. It's still a question week to week, but the gripes that you had mentioned were from big time players on this team being Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave saying that their assignments in that middle of the defensive line weren't what they were used to. They're more used to getting upfield and attacking the quarterback. And for most of the season, they were very pillow soft when it came to coverage. They were willing to give you that intermediate area and give up seven, eight yards per throw. So you're setting up for a second and two or a second and one, and you're getting a majority of your first downs. Now in the past couple of weeks, I don't know why it's taken so long, Jonathan Gannon, to realize that he has one of the best man cover corners in football currently in Darius Slay, where they could play more man, free up a single high safety to bring another one down in the box and make this play on these nickel and dime packages, which they weren't really running early in the season, to make defenses guess. They were just going out there and lining up. It it was almost like a hitter just waiting for a pitcher to just throw him three strikes. He was just going to sit there and keep his bat on his shoulder with this defense and just bend and bend and bend and don't break. But then there's only so much you could bend before you do break. Now he's kind of getting less lenient on that bend that they're throwing blitzes at these quarterbacks. They're making it difficult by lining five, six, seven guys up at the line of scrimmage. You look at the good defenses of the NFL, the Steelers, Baltimore, they make it so difficult for a quarterback pre-snap and post-snap by sending several different looks. And they're finally starting to do that. And the idea that you have to play chess in the NFL is evident because you could see, I would say you could grade every game, both offense and defense and say, is this a chess or a checkers game? Was my offensive coordinator putting that team in a position, both pre and post snap to succeed, or were they just sending the guys out there, letting them try and win matchups one-on-one. And when you don't have the best personnel in the middle of the field, when it comes to linebackers, when it comes to safeties, just letting the guys go out there and let players run against them, let them come into their bodies on off coverage, let them sit in zones, that's going to make for a difficult assignment for any defensive back. But now that they're getting in the face, the defensive lineman could just get up and go after the quarterback. They're sending blitzes. They're being aggressive. It almost feels like an Eagles defense of old where they're making a quarterback not want to be out there. That's what you should want at the end of the day. You should make that quarterback have a look on his face that says, man, I can't wait to get off this field. And if you saw Teddy Bridgewater the week before this one, where he threw an interception to Darius Slay and he wanted no part of getting in on that tackle, it just goes to show that if a defense imposes their will, you're going to do better than just sitting off and letting an offense gain momentum and put up points. Because if you look at those games in the middle of the Eagles downfall in that tough stretch where they went through Kansas city, Dallas, Tampa, they were just letting good teams do whatever they wanted to them. Now they're taking their will and imposing it on the offense. doesn't work all the time, but it's better than what it was early on in the season. And you just have to see progress. And I've seen that the last couple of weeks. And I tweeted out during that saints game that that was the first time I really felt confident on both sides of the ball 
since maybe 2017. They were really meshing and clicking on all cylinders to an extent that I don't want to be hyperbolic, but it has been some time in Philly since we have seen that good of play that we saw the past three, four weeks here. So then where are you still concerned with that defense, if, if any place? Oh, I would say the run game still is one of those things where, I mean, going against Saquon Barkley, I would expect him to, to pick up 80 to 100 yards. They haven't gone against the best running backs the past couple of weeks with Mark Ingram. And then before that with Javante Williams, who was a rookie, they still put up a decent amount of yards. And if you have a good run hard, run sound, run smart type of running back, which Saquon Barkley is, you can really make it difficult for this defense because when they have to bring additional help into the box, then they open up things and they get into these quarter coverage situations where they sit in zone because they want to help out the defensive front. So they keep more guys lined up there towards the line. And then you get those plays where they're ripping off seven, eight yards a chunk. And I know that Daniel Jones didn't look fantastic on Monday night going against Tampa, but the Eagles aren't Tampa Bay. They're not going to be that great of a defense compared to the Tampa Bay Bucks. So it might be a situation where you talk about a guy coming off of firing Jason Garrett now with maybe a freedom now with a new offensive play caller. Could you get the Eagles defense in a situation where they have to commit to the run, which would open up play action looks, open up the legs and the run game of Daniel Jones, which has been effective against the Eagles the past couple of years. Yeah, indeed. Now, what do you see as the X factor in this game? I would say the X factor is whatever team doesn't beat themselves. I think both teams have been in games. Then they weren't in games because they beat themselves and they, they just tripped over the bed and they, they hit their toe on the nightstand. You know, it's one of those situations where you just get into foul trouble late. You pick up a taunting penalty or one of these unsportsmanlike conducts. And I think this is going to be a game where it's been some time since the Eagles have played an NFC East opponent that they might have one or two turnovers on offense. And it will be interesting to see how they overcome that adversity because James Bradbury has a very good record against the Eagles when it comes to creating turnovers. That defensive line just seems to play good against Philly here the last couple of years. And I think they're much improved over what they were in 2020 and even 2019. So now I think it'll be more level. I don't think it'll be as big of a, a mismatch as people think because I always say, I've said it to you plenty of times over the years, you draft to beat your division. The Giants are set up to beat an Eagles team. They have guys on the outside that can cover. They have guys up front that could affect the pocket. On offense, they have playmakers that are going to give our cornerbacks and our linebackers trouble. It's going to be one of those games that our guys have to beat your guys, and whoever doesn't make more mistakes is going to win the game. Very simply put. And of course, the Giants have the benefit of Michael Strahan Day, which was. Oh, I purposely. didn't know that. I yes. did not know that. Yes. Oh, goodness. Michael Strahan, who, who recorded the bulk of his sacks against yep. the Eagles. You remember mm-hmm. the old battles between uh, Strahan and John Runyon, right? Oh, my goodness. I remember that one year when they had OCU and Euro and all mm. Justin Tuck. And it was like, I don't want to keep playing the Giants. That That was the type of defensive battle that I'm looking forward to this week. Like it just rough and tumble offensive line versus defensive line. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be brutal. And it might be a low scoring game because both of these units might work better in, a, in an NFC East matchup 
where you get so much momentum just putting on those colors and seeing who's lined up against you. The best division in football simply for that, Patricia. I know we can go into these games regardless of record, throw it out the window. It's going to be a game one way or another. And plus, don't forget, the Giants are still kind of ticked off at the Eagles for what they did. (laughs) Oh, I know. You guys won't let it go. (laughs) Nobody will let it go in New York. I don't think they will. But hey, listen, whatever gets them through, I'll take it. And I'm sure they'll take it as well. And I'm sure that'll come up when the Giants are going through their meetings this week. I'm sure Joe Judge will remind them what the Eagles did, even though Doug Peterson is no longer the head coach. It's still the organization that, by the way, before the, the last game they played last year had owned the, the Giants for what, eight games, I think. So, mm-hmm. and it's always, it's always a fierce battle. So anyway, Gino, great stuff. Appreciate the time. Giant fans appreciate you. And uh, before we forget a very happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Hope you're enjoying your football, depending on when you're watching this podcast and um, here on the, the Locked on Giants podcast, we are off tomorrow. I am not recording on Thursday. This show is being recorded Wednesday, so we will be back next Monday. David Turner will be with me. We'll break down the giant Eagle game. And don't forget, check out Gino and Louis' show, the Locked On Eagles podcast. They do a great job over on YouTube. Also, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for making us your first listen of the day. For Gino Camilleri, I'm Patricia Trena, and we will talk to you again soon.